Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and never let facts break a good joke. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and we're all deviant in our different ways. <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of intersubjective understanding and retro causality. Today, we'll be talking about Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone's This Is How You Lose the Time War, which is available at fine bookstores everywhere. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about Dan. Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, and then Riddick, because it's hot sci-fi summer, baby! (laughs) Make my pun. I'm not going to. Not going to do it. It's ridiculous! Um... (laughs) We have lots of ideas, but are always taking suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one good way to be someone whose suggestions get listened to is to become a patron. That's a really good point, Anna. I hadn't thought about that. It it would yeah. be useful if you want to be if you want to make suggestions, become a patron. And I think pretty sure you can become a patron if you go to patreon.com slash space the nation. And in addition right. to being able to make suggestions, well, yep. you, you, anyone can make suggestions, Yes, but you get a special direct line. That's true. You get access to our Discord channel, which is pretty awesome. Got a lot of different channels, not just about our show, but lots of other things. There's a channel devoted to day jobs. There's a channel devoted to Elmo. There's a channel devoted to... <laughs> and, and when we say Elmo... We mean Elon Musk, yes. We mean Elon Musk. There is a channel for tabletop gaming. There's a music channel. There's a cooking channel. There could be a channel called To Serve Dan, which we will see if that actually happens. Also, if you're a patron, you get to go to our AUAs. Next one is July 15th. If you're a patron... God damn it, get there. I mean, you just heard about this. You've got less than 24 hours. You better go. That's all we're saying. Right. If you're not a patron, well, next time. Yeah, exactly. Next time. What else do you get if you're a patron, Dan? You obviously get early access to the podcast. There's a theory out there that you also get merch. We don't need to go into that right now. That that theory is yet to be tested. I'd rather not. I'd rather not talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mostly it's the Discord channel, which is pretty damn awesome. Yeah. And if you want to reach us some other way besides the Discord channel, Mm -hmm. well... There's social media. Yes. <laughs> that just generates a, a general laugh for me at this point. There's a there's yeah. a lot of different social media out there right now, Anna. Yep, there is. Yeah. I will say mm-hmm. I feel elitist about this, but I'm basically only on Blue Sky as oh. far as Twitter. Well. Twitter replacements go. I'm not on Mastodon much. Mm-hmm. I never really joined Post. Threads is an affront to God. <laughs> I, I don't believe I'm going to, I can't believe I'm about to do this on it. You're making me defend threads a little bit, which is, I. so I'm not going to lie. It's not good, but I also think that I don't know why it was designed such that the, you can be responsible for the space nation threads account. That, is, I will, that... I, that seems fair. Totally fair. <laughs> All I will say is, is that threads is the most bizarre social media site I've encountered in that it is the absolute worst thing when you first sign on, because when you first sign on to it, it's like an infomercial shower. It is like the worst, most hideous, like celebrity, like it's the inundation. worst of capitalism, just in a, in the form of threads. But, but I will say this, once you actually start figuring out like who you want to follow, the algorithm does get better. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's great, but it, it, it's, it, it is, the annoyances have been reduced to a more tolerable level is the way I would put it. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough time in the day, Dan. Yeah, fair enough. Not enough time in the day. I am also on Instagram mm-hmm. on there actually a fair amount because there is a new kitten in my household. So 
if you like kitten pictures and uh, dog pictures. I mean, the kitten had a cameo, I think, in our last episode, correct? The kitten had a cameo in our last episode. There's a chance he might show up today. However, it is really fucking hot. And all of my animals are passed out. Like, <laughs> like I have to go check on them, probably. Like, they're just, like, lying down kind of in a row in my living room. Oh, that's, that's kind of sweet, though. It's very sweet, but they look like they may have melted a little. So You should take a picture I, of them and make that the, the like, photo for when we, you upload this, this episode. Perhaps I will. And, yes, I'm on Instagram. And I also have a website, which Dan is going to say in a very funny way now it's www.annamariecox.com <laughs> that's right the website is named anna marie cox <laughs> not anna but anna. i'm anna marie cox <laughs> i don't know how that happened i will be doing my writer's workshop in the fall but you can sign up now for a 10 percent discount i believe okay. uh, people from our listenership have taken my writer's workshop dan it's really pretty fun that's cool. good to know. I am on Substack. What else do you do, Dan? I what, are, a, what are you up to? I have a Substack. It's called Dresner's World. You know, just basically blogging there and, and enjoying myself. And, you know, blogging. Blogging. Just I'm blogging. blogging. I'm just some blogging. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so, Anna, how are you? Yep. I mentioned that it's hot. Mm-hmm. And I like to avoid the weather as a stat answer. And yet. Like, <laughs> But it's hard to avoid talking about the weather mm-hmm. when it's this fucking hot. I, I was thinking, so I, I was listening to a, someone else's podcast today and talking about how they left Texas to get away from the summer, mm-hmm. the summer's here, but that now Texas has come for all of us. Oh. <laughs> it is true. Fair <laughs> enough. Yes. Both climate wise and politically. Yeah. So I am sorry about that on behalf of my home state. I am sorry. Fun fact, just on the weather thing, mm-hmm. did you know that Texas has the second highest percentage of renewable energy resources in the country next to California? I did not know that. Yep. It is why we have not had brownouts this summer, because they did a lot of work on that over the past two years because of the big freeze. Now, why our politicians don't brag about this? I was about to say, I don't know, but I know. <laughs> and, and why is that? They don't want to upset any other industry, you know. I see. Like, <laughs> yes, fair enough, fair enough. Well, anyway, Dan, do you have any weather updates? No, actually, I was going to give a more substantive how I'm doing. Oh wow, go ahead. I'm actually doing pretty well. As it, I think I have said previously, I did a lot of travel in May and June, and now I'm not traveling, which is really nice. But more importantly, my family is going to be coming together. You know, my daughter had been out in a program in the Berkshires, and my son had been studying overseas, and you know, I think by the time this gets released, it'll be like a whole family again, which, you know, at that age doesn't always um, happen. And it's kind of nice. Wow. Mimi must, she'll be over the moon. Oh, yes. Mimi gets very happy when the house is full because, you know, and, and part of the reason is that Mimi has a routine, which is she sleeps with Lauren, my daughter, and then, you know, we walk her and so forth. And then basically she will root to wherever, whoever is still in bed and like just hang out with them. We should be clear who Mimi is. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Mimi is my dog. Yes. 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 Although I was imagining other scenarios. No, 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 no. Really funny. Nope. Okay, Dan. <laughs> I think we're just chatting because we, we don't want to get to the meat of the show. Yes. Let's, let's, let's get to this. Why are we doing this, Anna? And I mean this sincerely because I think you suggested this one. And- okay. So it, it is. This is how you lose the time war. 
And the name and of this I episode had, will be How You Lost Dan and Anna. <laughs> yeah, I had heard some about it because the two co-authors are pretty well-known, especially Max Gladstone. He's very prolific mm-hmm. uh, in the sci-fi world. And it has a cool cover. It's hard to forget the cover for some reason. It's just like, it looks very literary, the mm-hmm. cover. Yes, Yeah. true. And it's weird to say that I remembered it because of that, but I did remember it because of that. And then earlier this year, there was a viral tweet that you, did you see this I tweet? I did not yeah. see. I, I'm not on Twitter all that much at this point. So no, I had not right. seen it. I did. I heard about it again. Mm-hmm. I sort of follow, like I read some of this sci-fi, yeah. you know, literature, mm-hmm. not literature. What am I saying? I read sci-fi literature, mm-hmm. but I read like the news, like the websites and stuff. Okay. That also sounds old fashioned. What am I saying? <laughs> I say I follow the, follow the genre. What about the teletype, just... Anna? Do you follow the teletype? <laughs> the mimeographs. <laughs> what about the old Victoria? Let's hear how it's going on in the old sci-fi world. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, when I heard over the telegraph that this tweet had, had gone viral, it is it was an anime handle named after it's a handle very memorable. It apparently is a reference to an anime. So Bigalus Dickalus Wolfwood said, <clears throat> read this. Do not look up anything about it. Just read it. It's only like 200 pages. You can download it on Audible. It's only like four hours. Do it right now. I'm very extremely serious. And the book went to the number three spot on the bestseller list. Wow. On Amazon? Just kinda, wow. Yep. And New York Times as well. It oh, was like Lord. the fastest selling book on Amazon for a little while. Good Lord. Does Bigalus, yeah. I, I, so again, don't know this account. Does Bigalus Dickalus not recommend books ordinarily? Is like No, that's actually part of what I think happened here. In fact, Amal El Motar had a really good sort of analysis about what happened. I thought mm-hmm. she said it's it's a fan account. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's an anime fan account, right? And in that context, that kind of passion mm-hmm. is you know people act on it, yeah, right? Fair enough. And people are used to like really sharing their passions in that kind of subculture, mm-hmm. and so it kind of took off from there. Hmm. I think. And I would be curious to know what all those people who bought it thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, you know, this podcast is about what we're going to tell you what we thought about it, I guess. Would be yeah. To put it. So anyway, that is how I heard about it. I thought, oh, viral, you know, underground hit. It's Pride Summer, mm-hmm. sort of. We're doing Pride Month Part 2. Yep. Let's do it. Need appropriate for that. All right, let's get to will this podcast ruin it for you? And my answer to that question is no, because this is not exactly a plot heavy book, which is, by the way, one of the ways in which you lose Anna and Dan. But I don't think there's any need to, you know, read before listening. Ha 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 ha. See, that's a joke if you've read the book, but you really shouldn't. Don't consider yourself like uh, being directed to read the book, obviously. Mm -hmm. There is a big twist Mm -hmm. if you do want to read it. So I don't know why you didn't consider it a twist, Dan, but there is a twist. I'll be honest. The reason I didn't think it was a twist was because I wasn't surprised. Okay. I I guess... I mean, you're right. I mean, there's a a development, but like... There's a development that might take... It won't necessarily be a surprise, yeah, but like yeah. the way that it unfolds, right? Is fair enough. 
maybe maybe you want to read it and, and not be aware of it. If you, it's it is a short read, so if you yeah. don't want to take our word for it that it's not that good, mm-hmm. stop here, go read it, come back. Now, Dan, we've already established that we did not like it very much, mm-hmm. and this is how much I didn't like it. <laughs> About eighty percent into the book, yes, I was like, surely Obama recommended this. <laughs> For those listeners, must, Obama must have liked this book. This is this is the kind of book Obama would recommend. For those <laughs> listeners new to the podcast, let me explain that statement, which is <laughs> we have read multiple books that Barack Obama has recommended in the sci-fi genre, and I think it's safe to say we have liked none of them. We found That's some right. of them kind of interesting at times. Yep. Um, and I will say, to be fair, I think I like some of those books more than I like this one. So, you know. Wow, that's a tough one. Yeah. But this, I didn't like this one in some of the same ways I didn't like the others. Yeah. Which is, it is, it reads to me mm-hmm. like sci-fi for people who don't like sci-fi. Yeah. Which is the Obama problem at times. Yes. In other words, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like sci-fi with aspirations or pretensions to grandeur, which and, is not how it works. I mean, we'll talk more about it. I mean, yeah. I... There are things to recover from this book. You mm-hmm. know, it is not like a piece of trash. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Um, Clearly, it is a work of love. Clearly, it is a passion project. It's a work of love. I mean, both as a love story, and I think the people who wrote it really cared about it, and yeah. that comes through. Mm-hmm. Some of the turns of phrase are quite lovely. Yes. But we'll talk more about other aspects the, of it the other aspects or rather as we let's put it this way the book is not long it might have been better if it had been a bit longer if they had put some more words or in a it lot it. shorter <laughs> <laughs> fair enough or a lot a lot shorter like a short story yes I think we kind of went over our previous experience already. Yeah, let's get to the story behind the story. Anna, I know that this book came out in 2019, but I'm not going to lie. It kind of had the feel of like a pandemic project. I can imagine these two writers like emailing each other like portions of the book as they were doing it. Here's the crazy thing. Yes. They wrote it sitting physically across from each other. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. That's very strange. And, and wow. This is from this is from the acknowledgments. Yes. Uh, we wrote most of This Is How You Lose a Time War physically across from each other in the gazebo of an anonymous benefactor. <laughs> That's Obama! <laughs> it has to be Obama! It all comes together! Now we figured it out. That has to be it. It's a, it's a the common ground. This uh, was a gazebo, gazebo in Oak Bluff's Martha's Vineyard. I have no doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. So, and as far as the other inspirations... I guess they were big fans of each other. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to do something together. They started writing each other letters. Actually, big fans of each other, and they started writing each other letters. Oh. And the letters, I believe, were on paper. Oh, wow. That is, is classic. kind of important to the story. Yeah. And in fact, uh, El Matar says in the acknowledgments, it might be in keeping with the enterprise to thank G. Lalo for producing the truly gorgeous paper that enticed two writers <laughs> with more ink on their hands than time to into a lengthy correspondence. Now, Dan, I assumed it was a scientific paper <laughs> about time travel. That is what I assumed. No, Lalo is a kind of stationary. It's a kind of stationary. Yep. Yeah. Okay, uh, I have to admit, I like them more now because, you know, good stationary matters, actually, Anna. I, 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 I love stationary as well. Yeah. 
And we are old enough. We are old enough to have remembered a time when we, in fact, did write letters on stationery. That is correct. And let's see a little more about it. El Motar actually had a really lovely quote about the connection between her queerness and time travel, which mm-hmm. I, I would have set me up to like the book if I had read it before <laughs> I read the book. Okay. <laughs> To be a queer woman of color is to be acutely aware that your existence is political and that you don't need a time machine to rewrite history. Women are written out of history with infuriating consistency and written back into it only intermittently. Hmm. Every time we recover a female author, scientist, doctor, activist, every time we affirm that black people lived in medieval Europe, that queer people have always existed and often led happy lives, we change history. Not the past, crucially, but history, our story about the past and our narratives and paradigms. Hmm. I thought that was that's pretty thoughtful it's it's very thoughtful the person who wrote that quote Mm -hmm. that that book sounds exciting (laughs) that actually you know what it would have been fun if they had written a book about like two professors trying to write and or rewrite a history textbook and that like (laughs) see that doesn't sound like necessarily a better book but it sounds real similar yes fair enough (laughs) The academic in me would vibe on that one is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So now Chekhov's What's It? Oh, I should say also, Dan, IP is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. This has been optioned for TV. And El Motar and Gladstone are working on scripts for it apparently right now. I couldn't get that confirmed, but several blogs said so. And that's another place I follow science fiction, Dan. You know what? Anna, this, let me put it this way. I'm not a fan of this book. I, neither of us were. This does have the potential to be good, however, I would argue, in like oh, yeah. television or, or film. Because in some ways... I actually had the same thought. Yeah. So, like, you know, again, it's not that it... We didn't... It's not awful, but it was disappointing, I think is the way to put it. A lot of its problems could be solved by having to be on screen. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And we'll talk about that in a bit. All right. Let's get to Chekhov's What's It. This is the thing that often appears in the first act of a book that winds up being relevant in the denouement of the book. Anna, I have Chekhov's Seeker, because that is definitely true, but sure, it's a little weird. I have weird. Chekhov's Time Loop. Yeah. It's it, the same it, thing in some ways. Yeah, I don't know quite how to describe the conceit that winds up sort of being the twist. Right. But I guess Time Loop is, yeah, sure, it's a time loop. And I don't think I'm ruining anything by telling people it's a time loop. Yeah. And you will kind of guess it. Yes. It's not a total shocker. No. As I said, that's why, but but you're right, it's an important twist. But in fact, let's just, let, let, should I just describe the let's plot? Let's just get this done with, Dan. <laughs> All right, let's get to the jacket blurb of the book. So there's a time war between a futuristic, techno-friendly outfit called the Agency and a more Gaia-friendly, organic entity called the Garden. What are they fighting about? Damned if I know, Anna. I really don't know after having read this entire book, which was one of the things that pissed me off. But I do know that Red is the agency's best covert operative and Blue is the Garden's best operative. They also appear to know each other by reputation. Red is surveying a battlefield in the Time War when she spots a cream-colored letter from, you guessed it, Blue, a letter that is a bit of a taunt, but also an expression of admiration from one outstanding field operative to another. Red replies in a different strand of time where Blue is operating. So begins a correspondence that spans centuries with myriad different threads, some involving Atlantis, others involving spaceships, I, you know, you can, many involving London or Beijing or what have you. 
Their letters take myriad forms from lava flows to tree rings to, I believe, dried cod. Hmm. Yeah. They keep their correspondence a secret from their respective organizations and superiors. These letters evolve from playful banter to more meditative reflections on their lives. Then Blue saves Red on one of her missions, keeping it a secret from her superiors, and the letters morph into love. Eventually, Red's boss, Commandant, summons her and warns her that Blue is likely trying to turn her. Red warns Blue that her boss is onto them and to sever all contact. Blue cannot quit because she fears Red's betrayal will be found out if Blue does not take the bait. So, Blue eats the poison made just for her and dies. Red travels back in time to collect Blue's DNA to infiltrate the garden, and indeed, I believe Red is the seeker that Red keeps seeing in those sections of the book. Red saves Blue from the poison by giving her the anti-venom as a child. Red is therefore imprisoned by the agency, but finds a note from Blue, which means that her plan worked. Blue instructs Red how to escape, and holding their hands up high, they drive their convertible off the Grand Canyon. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry, I've morphed into another project. But Red escapes, and I think that's the end of the book. Anna, yeah. is that about sum it up? <laughs> I'm so impressed. I'm always impressed by your plot summaries, but <laughs> that's especially good, because travels back in time to collect Blue's DNA. Mm-hmm is so much more succinct and intelligible than anything I thought was happening. (laughs) Like I knew that she was going back in time to collect like the essence of blue, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I was not, I was a little confused about, is she becoming blue? I think she she... sort of like in like in it, there's a blue skin or something. It's, it's, I'm honestly not entirely sure, but I think that's what it was. Yes. Especially because I okay. One of the problems of the book is I didn't have any idea what anything looked like. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the two characters, especially, they're described in ways that make them sound like robots. They're described in ways that make them sound like they can just shape shift. Mm-hmm. They're described as having human forms, mm-hmm. but also one of them is from this like organic world, and the other one is from a tech world. So that seems like they would have different. It seems like they would be very different because of that. Forms. Yes. Yeah. So any and yet red kind of okay. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I think it would have been nice to know what they were fighting over. <laughs> I kind of agree with that, Anna. I mean, it was very frustrating. Like, you know, I I, I guess Although, yeah, go ahead. Maybe that is capital C commentary. Yes. On capital W war. Yeah, but as an IR person, I find that yeah, a banal sorry, go ahead. I also don't know how they fell in love and that seems like the bigger thank you yes that was a bit of a thing i mean i think blue deciding to save red is one of those moments where perhaps blue realizes oh i guess i've developed feelings but i honestly it i think one of the one of the aspects of this that was frustrating is the idea that you can sometimes develop a relationship just through correspondence that's absolutely something that can happen and maybe that can even you know, extend to being a crush or, you know, what have you, but love that's, you know, we're, Oh, I, I think you can develop a deep crush. Sure. Just via, yeah. You know, epistolary communication, especially if you catch glimpses of each other, right. Yeah. Which they apparently do. It's just, I don't, it just seems to kind of happen out of nowhere. Hmm. And I don't know what it is they love about each other. I mean, at some point, 
also red doesn't have much of a character. <laughs> yeah. I felt like blue, I kind of had a sense of, of her as a distinct personality ish. I guess I think one of them was more impish than the other. And I'm trying to remember which one. Yeah. I think that's blue. That was blue. Yeah. I think you're blue right. is the one that likes poetry in the city of London. Yeah. And also yeah. knows how to eat. <laughs> yes. Whereas red is a machine. I think eats because she can occasionally see. That's the other thing is like, I, I'm not, I'm going to stop. Yeah. I also had no idea what was going on most of the time in terms of their missions. Like, yeah, no, those are horribly. I'm not an idiot, I'm not an idiot mm-hmm. but like, because you don't know what they're fighting for, all of these missions are just like, pick up this rock so that an avalanche happens in 20 years so that the, so and so. So that Hitler is killed or sun. something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all these incredibly like drawn out if for one of a nail kind of, mm-hmm. you know, processes. But you don't, you don't ever meet anyone involved in those missions. So you don't. There's no stakes. Right. No. All like, of you. Part of the problem. Part of the incredibly frustrating thing about this book is, is that there is red. There is blue. I think there's commandant. Do we ever see Gardens Superior as a character? I no. don't think so. Yeah. No. And that's it. There are no other mm-hmm. characters. Um, and, you know, there's lots of sort of, there's lots of NPCs and they don't say anything. They're just sort of like, you know, crowd scenes and and also crowd scenes that are barely sketched out. And that was something that was incredibly frustrating because, you know, I, I get the idea that you wanted to keep it a, a novel focused on just these two characters, but in some ways, weirdly, despite the fact that it was an epic existential time war, there were oddly no stakes. And there's actually a quote that sort of has to do with this, okay. and it blew my mind in not a great way. Mm-hmm. Viewed from a sufficient height, all problems are simple. All knots can be untied with a few deaths or 10,000. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Actually, that perfectly encapsulates why I don't like the book. Yeah. It... Because it... they... It's... Yeah. Sometimes they kill a few thousand people, and yeah. then that changes history, and then sometimes they... There's actually another, there's another quote about that, which how easy it is to kill a planet. And so sometimes you forget that it's important to kill like smaller things. It's in some ways a very gruesome and nihilistic book. There was one scenario, (laughs) was I wrong? Or there was one scenario where the planet itself becomes alive and starts to eat things. I couldn't remember. Yeah, no, that's definitely in there. It's a plant that becomes a kind of lion. Yeah, yeah. It was just, uh, yes. So it was a it was a frustrating. The funny thing is, is that it's it isn't a long book. It's not only not it's not only only two hundred pages. In some ways, it's much shorter than that because there's lots of breaks. And basically, the way the the book is structured is that there are descriptions of what each of them is doing, and then we actually read the letters. Which the letters are the best part of the book, I would say. Interesting. Sure. Yeah. But that said, this was a slog, Anna, and I I, I honestly don't. I had to do a little Googling to make sure I got the plot right because there were parts of it that I think I blacked out on for lack of what I was putting it. So Yeah, see me that I was Googling like again, like I was like almost done and I was like, fuck Obama, man. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Recommending another shitty sci-fi book. I bet he read it and liked it. I bet he did. You know what? Maybe maybe he will recommend it this oh wait, no, this is he done a summer Rex yet or no? 
I don't remember when he does his recommendations. Because like, I don't remember. Even though this came out in 2019, I wonder if he read it this year because of the the business and like he'll wind up recommending it or something. Oh God, there's a there's like a plot point. There's a plot point, Dan. Yes. <laughs> Which is, and it it. I'm guessing it probably bothered you as an IR person too, mm-hmm. which is, and I'm going to quote here, suppose that we defected not to each other's sides, but to each other. <laughs> Where they're like, let's bail on the war and just run away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just cliched at that point. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I don't like war. <laughs> I'm all for conscientious objection, but. It, yeah. Wait, this way, by not describing what the stakes are with the war, I get that it's big C commentary, but I think weirdly it also sabotages the big C commentary. Because to yeah. be fair, usually when actors go to war, there's actually a reason. It might not be a good reason, but there's a reason. You know, and even if they just had a paragraph of like no one knows how this started or like, you know, it started for the stupidest of reasons, in some ways that would have been fine. But like to just not mention it, it I think weirdly devalues the criticism. All right, we are moving on. We have to yeah, move on. We do. How is this science fiction different from all their science fictions? Uh. It's an epistolary novel. I don't know if there are a ton of sci-fi novels that are epistolary novels. Basically, that's about Pop all. Pop off in the comments, everyone, because I know people are going to start naming them. I'm sure there are. We went over the characters. There are none. Yeah, yeah. That's it, it's hard to. Yeah, there really literally, are characters. Literally, yeah. like there, there aren't, and and. It, Again, that's one of the problems. Like, there's there's interesting references to like them knowing Plato and stuff. Like, yeah. And I guess that would have been very Bill and Ted to have <laughs> Plato come in as a character. I guess, mm-hmm. but I did actually. There was it, it, there are references to things that sound intriguing. Like, yeah. there was a reference to how Romeo and Juliet in some timelines is a comedy, and in some timelines. A tragedy. Right, which is and actually I, I liked that. Yes. I, I loved that. And I would have loved maybe to a good writer probably could do a version, like just a snippet of a version of Romeo and Juliet where it's a comedy. Right. You know? Like a madcap rom com. I actually agree that they I accidentally, think they accidentally die. That probably doesn't happen. No, and if they had had cameos weirdly by famous people, that might actually have improved the the, the book a little bit. I agree with you. Yeah. And also like I particularly like that for Shakespeare because that as someone who I, I remember taking the Shakespeare class when I was in college. And the whole point of Shakespeare's, you know, tragedies and comedies is that very often with both of them, you didn't know how it was going to end until the last act, that it could have gone either way. And that's actually perfect for this book in that way. And actually, you know what? Pretending to be dead could be a rom-com thing. Yeah, that's true. That's, that yeah. is the classic rom-com thing. Yeah. All right, Dan. Mm-hmm. I know how you feel about this book, but I do still have a question. Okay. Is there IR in it? <sighs> Anna, is being deviant in all our different ways a form of hunger? No, it's just the presence of anarchy reminding us that there is some IR in this book, but I'm not enthusiastic about it. You know, I, I, the, the, the interesting IR, to the extent there is some, is the problem, as always, with trying to garner intelligence and the limited utility of intelligence, weirdly. Because the the challenge that all actors have in world politics is, let's say you actually get perfect information about what an adversary is doing. You would think, oh, that's wonderful. You're going to be able to take advantage of that and so on and so forth. But very often actors are limited in terms of what they can do because they want to maintain the source. 
This is why very often when you talk about intelligence leaks, there's a lot of concern about sources and methods that you'll, you'll hear that phrase used. There's a reason why intelligence operatives care a lot about that, because sources and methods apply imply a steady stream of intel. And so weirdly, if you act too much on the intel, you are also often revealing how you're getting the information. And this is why, for example, during World War II, when the British built the Enigma machine that decoded Ultra. Very important plot point in the imitation game. Yes, in the imitation game. They decide they can only use it for really important stuff because if they use it too much, the Germans will obviously switch the code and they'll be onto them. And this explains why Blue in the end decides to eat Red's poison because she's correct in surmising that if she doesn't do that, it is just going to make Commandant more suspicious of Red. So that was totally fair. The more serious issue in IR, like to the extent that there would ever actually be temporal conflict is that I'm pretty sure there is no such thing as victory. Victory can't happen because in a temporal war, you just go further back in time to like, you know, try to, to rejudge it or you go back in time to fix whatever or to try to sabotage the other person going back in time. Hegemony is impossible if the other side can just go back earlier and change the future. So I would suggest that temporal wars never end because there is no starting point in that sense. Or you can just pick an end. I guess. Yeah. I I mean, couldn't you, if you're, if you have different strands, like, couldn't you negotiate a peace treaty where you're like, Hey, in your strand, you win. Right. In our strand, our strand, we win. You would think that would be the reasonable (laughs) thing to do. That was, by the way, this is also something. And we're, we're going to, we're going to, in your strand, we'll just disappear. Yeah. We'll just like make our civilization not having existed. And in yours, our strand, you disappear. Well, so a couple things. First of all, if you recall in the gone world, that's probably not how people would behave. Because if you recall, no. that that's one thing. But I, I think in some ways this was- Oh, yeah. That was my problem with it. It's like, what is the problem with disappearing like, yeah. in, in a strand? But, like, but this if actually- you don't, if, you're not, if you don't get hurt or anything, if you're just never born, like- But this also sorry. points out the biggest problem- with the, my, my yeah. one big problem with the gospel. Well, no, but there's another <laughs> big problem with the book, which is that- or, or there's a big problem with this book, which is they talk about different strands, but there is- I mean- I'm not asking for a ton of exposition, but understanding how these things work would have been useful. And I never really got that sense from reading the book. Like, I know there are different strands, and I know that sometimes you concede something earlier that connects it to a different strand or what have you, but like, maybe just another page or two of explanation on that would have been useful. Yeah, especially like given that it doesn't even, it doesn't even seem like they exist in the same future. Right. Right. Like maybe the problem is what you suggested about my solution is Mm -hmm. that the problem is that they're fighting to exist Mm -hmm. at the end of time. I I don't know. Most wars are fought over resources, Dan, if I've learned anything from you. Well, you could also. It is that uh, they also. What is the resource? What is the resource here? I leave it this way: wars can also be fought for identity, and well, you, sure. And, but but that might actually explain what's going on here, because I do get the sense that Garden and the agency are very different kinds of identities, and maybe that was why they were antithetical to each other. But I agree with you that there are one of any number of different ways, especially if they have time travel, that they could have had like a a temporal, you know, accord of some kind, but. It, it's just too confusing. I mean, the the I I don't understand the internal premise of the oh. in the book. 
And then, see, I thought we were going to get an extended Romeo and Juliet retelling or something, by the way. <laughs> Which would have been did funny, yes. Um, yeah. One way it could have gone, this would be kind of a cool ending, mm-hmm. is if they fall in love and decide to go back in time and heal the you know fissure between Oh, the that would have been good. That's a really good, yeah. <laughs> falling in love earlier. That's a corny ending, you know? but it's a pretty nice one. I like that. By the way, also, right. apropos of nothing, I do want to suggest if you have Hulu, check out the film Rosalind, which in fact is a version of Romeo and Juliet, but centering Rosalind, who, if you remember, was Romeo's first crush. And that is actually a comedy. So just wanted to put that out there. It probably right. belonged in Debris Field, but I, I thought I would say it now. Anyway, Anna, I, I do feel like I have yes, a question. Dan. I, I have a question right. for you, which is All right. Is there a critique of capitalism in this book? Dan, this is me, the truth of me. As I do so, broken open by the act of trying to find the critique of capitalism. (laughs) The thing is, I'm quite sure there is one because I know a little bit about the politics of these two authors. And I'm, I, I just, I disliked the book so much. I didn't want to spend any more time (laughs) thinking about it. Mm -hmm. especially not knowing what the war is over it's hard to really like spot the critique of capitalism Mm -hmm. i will give el motar this which was a really fun tweet of hers Mm -hmm. speaking of is there a critique of capitalism in this in this story different story Mm -hmm. quote isn't it interesting that hansel and gretel are starving in a widespread famine and find a house in the woods literally made out of good food but its owner won't eat it just wants to lure starving kids in order to eat them Anyway, fairy tales have nothing to do with capitalism. <laughs> I liked that. that. That will be my substitute for okay. critique of capitalism in this story. Fair enough. It is strange running into each other. It is time for Discord and Notes. This is when we take questions from our Discord and answer them in the podcast. So our question this week comes from Miranda SM, which is, what is your opinion of epistolary novels in general? How does the form impact the execution of this one? Anna, you've got an answer for this? I have my own, but... I have been rereading Dracula. Oh, is that an epistolary because... novel? Yeah. Oh, I did not know it that. Is. Read... It's, it's, a, okay. it's a pastiche. Okay. It has epistolary stuff. It has journals. It has audio, it, well, phon- phonographic mm-hmm. recordings. I mean, obviously, they're printed as journal entries or as some kind of epistolary form in the book because mm-hmm. it wasn't an audio book back in the day. Yeah. But it is. It, it uses the epistolary form quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it is still effective, mm-hmm. I, I, I think. And I, I think the form can be very very effective Mm -hmm. i don't have any grudge against it also i've been trying to write a kind of satire of dracula which is why oh really i'm rereading it interesting and that has given me some respect (laughs) for it Mm -hmm. if nothing else what i have found the most difficult in my little just playing kind of a a literary game with myself Mm -hmm. is keeping things straight like keeping what happens when. Yeah, yeah. If you know what your plot, you know what your plot wants to be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you know, props to the. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, the letters are good. Yeah, I guess. 
So there's some pretty writing. Yeah, there's some pretty writing. So I would so I'd say a couple things on this. The first is is that I actually did have a grudge for epistolary novels because the first epistolary novel that I ever experienced was in my English AP class where our prof- our teacher read us Samuel Richardson's Pamela, which is widely thought to be one of the first novels period ever. And how to put this gently, Pamela is boring as fuck. It's just a ridiculously long novel in which, you know, and, and I doubt they would read it now because the premise of that novel is, I believe Pamela is a maid who works for this elder Lord who winds up putting the moves on her. Then, you know, she resists, but she eventually falls in love, but she's chased. She won't lose Virginia unless they get married. They finally get married and that's it. It's the most boring novel in the, the planet. So I had a grudge on epistolary novels, but that said, I've also in the past month read Curtis Sittenfeld's romantic comedy. Anna, have you read this? I have not, but Curtis is actually a friend of mine. I was one of the first people to publish her. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, I can't believe we're three in year three of this. And like, I'm just finding out about this. Wow. That is a nice needle drop by you. Yeah. Anyway. And I, we, I also cool. So I published her back at feed magazine. Do you uh-huh. remember feed magazine? Yeah. And because I'd read a short story of hers that I really loved. And uh, so she wrote something for me there. And then I think she might've written something else and we lost touch mm-hmm. in the, then the Washington post asked me to review her Laura Bush novel. Oh, so okay. I didn't get back in touch with her right, because you it'd were, been long enough that I felt, yeah, you know, but I felt okay about reviewing the yeah, novel. But yeah. then after I reviewed it, which rave review, mm-hmm. great novel, yeah. not as big a fan of her Hillary book, but in general, she's awesome. I highly recommend romantic comedy, uh, the middle section of which is essentially a epistolary novel in which the two main characters are emailing each other during the pandemic, which I found delightfully charming. So yeah, I don't have a problem with it. And I actually think the letters are the best part of this book, but that is damning with faint praise. I am reminded, I just did a Google search for like best epistolary novels. And I am reminded that The Martian is epistolary-ish. I guess it really is technically a pastiche. It's more of a journal. Like, yeah. Like, journal. Yeah. 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 Like, I think journal-based is different than pure epistolary because journal-based is just first person. Well, also, I hate to say this. I the, the premise of The Martian is the book is actually pretty good, but th- that's one of those where I think the movie actually improves upon the book. And also, it's good sort of despite the writing because yeah. the premise is so, is so it's intriguing. Brilliant. Anyway, yeah. all right. Okay. Oh, uh, oh what's ping, that? Ping, oh. ping, it's, it's shrapnel from the Sneakers? stupid time war. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's the debris field. It's time for the things that we failed to bring up previously in the podcast. I only have, I think, two things, Anna. What do you have? I guess I have a couple of good quotes. Okay. There's some pieces of writing that are pretty. Yes, I agree. All right. You, there's some good lines you hit me with your lines i only have lines? i have one line that's the that, that was the one that i really liked the best but you you hit me with okay. yours we'll see if I, mine is in there i dream myself a seed between your teeth mm, that was good yeah just an evocative evocative line anna you should um, do like also, you could do the audiobook of this like that just that was a great line reading i'm just letting you know thank you yeah i am available for hire anyone wants me to <laughs> do some line readings the decision forms like a jewel in her stomach mm-hmm also no nice also pretty nice and then i also the line i used to intro the capitalism section i genuinely like it this is the me the truth of me as i do so broken open by the act in the palm of your hand dying yeah that's pretty nice the only nice writing yeah i would say the the turn of phrase i like the best was the description of london as quote all meat pies and monarchy 
there's just some there, there is some great little nuggets, nuggets yes. of description yeah this might be the time to say the thing i told you when we were texting mm-hmm. about the writing in this book which is in my writing workshop mm-hmm. oh yes when students turn in stuff that has similar kinds of writing mm-hmm. unless it fucking blows me away <laughs> I usually encourage them to think about writing in a more direct style. Yeah. Like, because it's a workshop, I really do try not to give instruction mm-hmm. or tell them definitely do this or don't, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But I try to make a point of helping them to not be confused between fancy writing and good writing. Right. Because... Yeah. I I can do both. <laughs> we can all do both, but like right You probably can too. Yeah. I know when I'm doing one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes doing fancy just to like get through something, it's kind of like vamping. It's like, "Oh, hope you won't notice my lack of a thesis." <laughs> I I don't know about you. I find sometimes that like if I'm write like if I've got to write something and it's an assignment, it's like I'm not sure what to say. I will start with the fancy writing thinking, "Okay, oh, yeah. that'll work out. That'll work." And everyone's Da-da-da-da-da. And I will say, hey, "Look, Every- colorful metaphor joke joke colorful metaphor and every once <laughs> in a blue moon it works because every once in a while you stumble across something it's like oh yeah wait this totally works yeah. most of the time you're like oh god and you just like just kill it yeah and it's interesting to me maybe well if anyone takes my workshop this is something i'm not i'm not giving away trade secrets here it is interesting to me that fancy writing in a atmosphere like a workshop often is easy to praise by fellow students oh sure because it stands out because it stands out and it sounds good (laughs) right some of it can sound like good writing i'm sorry it's an approximation of good writing yes no oh no 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 you're you're making me have ptsd when i was taking creative fiction writing in college and like because back then that it was the peak of the second person Oh yeah, and so I I wrote a piece in second person, and it was like it read well, but like you know, basically Jim Shepard looked at me and said, "Don't do that again." Oh, wow. <laughs> boom! That name was loud when you dropped it right there. I just oh, yep, echoed. Yeah, it echoed. We're all name dropping here. This is how you name drop in the podcast, listeners. And. Also, like some of the fancy writing can be good, but like the general, like my rule of thumb is like, you know, kill your dar. Everyone knows this. Kill, kill your darlings. darlings. Yeah. Anything you really, really love, consider taking it out. Yeah, and see how much you miss it. <laughs> I don't have a lot else. I think my the favorite thing I read in, you know, doing the research mm-hmm. <laughs> for this podcast, including the novel, was that tweet about Hansel and Gretel. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. And I also liked her little discourse on how writing and and doing historical work about women and queer people is a form of time travel. That I'll remember that. That's a, that's a good insight. The only thing I will add is that there were, again, as you said it, there were like little like asides in the book that I almost wish they had fleshed out further. They were like teases. Like, but I do kind of want to see an Atlantis with flying cars, for example. And also, I did like how both of the characters didn't like Atlantis. I, I found that amusing, and that was yeah. that was charming. But that's about it. It's it's, you know, the book just could have used like a person who wasn't a huge fan 
of them yeah. as an editor. Like this, you know what the problem here is, Dan? This is like if you and I co-wrote something. <laughs> like, well, not necessarily, because I think you and I are actually good enough friends that we could tell each other it's not good. I would like, like to think on it. I would be a good here. enough friend to tell you. Like, I, but the yeah. thing is, like, if 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 we were like blindly fans of each other, which it seems oh, I like see. these two are like yes. super fans of each other. Yeah. You know, we're good enough friends that we're not super fans of each exactly. other. Exactly. We know each other's warts. <laughs> yes. But like two people being super fans writing a novel together, mm-hmm. this is what you're going to get. Yeah. That's actually a nice way of summing it up, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Become a patron. Next few episodes are about the Pitch Black series, which we are both looking forward to. Dan has some personal connection to the series that I'm sure we will get into Mm -hmm. when we talk about them. This has been a lot more fun than reading the book. (laughs) Until next time. Keep this channel open for more.